0: Hey, everyone, I hope you're doing well. Uh, Miss you a whole lot, praying for you, and love you so much. Uh, We are now in part seven of our series, Faith in Action, from the book of James. Our text today is James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. James chapter 2, verses 14 through 26. In last week's text, verses 1 through 13 of chapter 2, James gave us another practical way on how to live out our faith, and that was to practice impartiality. And James says, don't show favoritism. And he also says to love your neighbor as yourself, and that we should be merciful to others. Well, here in in the text, uh, he's staying on the same thought of putting our faith into practice. The title of my message today is The Fruit of Faith. On the Sermon of the Mount, Jesus was teaching about fruit in people's lives, and he said, write this down, Matthew, he said in Matthew 7, verse 20, Matthew 7, verse 20, Thus by their fruit you will recognize them. Now here in our text, James is very adamant, very adamant, that once you come to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, there will be clear evidences of the fact by the works that flow or the fruit that flows from your life that you truly have had an eternal transaction with Jesus Christ. So if you have true true saving faith, it will be shown in activity. It will be shown in works. The fruit of faith will be evident in your life because fruit don't lie. Now in the text, James is showing us that the contrast between having only head faith and having head, heart, and hand faith. And he's shown us the difference between saving faith and saying faith, the difference between possessing faith and professing faith. And you see, throughout this book, James sets forth a chain of tests whereby we can evaluate how real and how genuine our faith is. Now listen, we're being challenged. We're being challenged to really examine our lives, to pause and lead us to be concerned about the reality of the faith that we've confessed. That being said, we need to ask ourselves, are we really putting our faith into practice? We need to ask ourselves, are we really applying our beliefs to our behavior? Is it just vocabulary or is it lifestyle? Now, now before we even get into our first point, I want to make sure that we understand that James is not talking about salvation by works because we know that we cannot work for our salvation. We know we cannot earn our salvation, right? We know that, right? Salvation is a gift of God. So I want you to write this down, Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. And Paul writes, for it is by grace, by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves it is a gift of god i love that a gift of god not by works so that no one can boast now now some people think that that paul and james are contradicting each other because paul says we are saved by grace through faith not by works and james comes along and says it's not just faith but its faith and works so so who's right well well they're both right they were talking about the same thing salvation but from two different angles. So so I want you to follow me here. Paul is talking about the root of our salvation. James is talking about the fruit of our salvation. You see, Paul looks at life from God's perspective. James looks at life from man's perspective. So I want you to follow me here. Paul sees the fire in the fireplace. James sees the smoke coming out of the chimney. That's the picture there. Now listen, church, when when Paul talks about justification, he means the act of God at salvation, whereby he declares a believing sinner righteous. On the other hand, James uses it to mean validation or evidence. In other words, we justify or prove our faith by our works. Now I want you to follow me here. We're not saved by our deeds. Get that now. We're not saved by our deeds. We're saved for deeds. We're saved for For deeds. And these are the twin truths of Christianity. And you see, Paul's whole emphasis is on the first truth, not saved by our deeds. And James' whole emphasis is on the second truth, saved for deeds. So we're not saved by works, but our salvation should result in works. Works are the fruit of salvation, not the cause of salvation, but the effect of salvation. If you got it, say you got it. Now, I want to go back I want to go back to Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to go through verses 8 all the way through verse 10, okay? And it says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourself. It is gift of God, not by works that no one can boast. That's salvation. Say salvation. That's salvation. Salvation is the work God does for us. The work God does for us. So let's read on verse 10a of Ephesians chapter 2. For we are God's workmanship, that's sanctification, say say sanctification, that's the work God does in us, salvation, the work God does for us, sanctification, the work God does in us, and then let's read the rest of verse 10, verse 10b, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That's service. That's the work God does through us. So follow me here. Salvation, the work God does for us. Sanctification, the work God does in us. And service, the work God does through us. For, in, and through us. So the result of salvation, listen now, the result of salvation is good works. Someone said, faith is like calories, you can't see them but you sure can see the results, and that is so true. The bottom line is this, and this is James' point in our text, and you got to get this. A new life demands a new lifestyle. I'm going to say it again. A new life demands a new lifestyle. Now listen, you cannot have an encounter with Jesus Christ and not be radically changed. True saving faith, listen now, true saving faith will produce an effect in your life. It's not just lip service. It will become life service. And in the text, James provides a a thorough examination of faith. And that being said, we ought to examine our faith from time to time. In fact, in 2 Corinthians uh, 13.5, Paul writes this. And please listen to this. He says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Jesus is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? Pastor Adrian Rogers said, faith that can't be tested can't be trusted. I want to share three points with you from the text. If you're ready, say amen. Well, number one is dead faith. Write that down, dead faith, dead faith. Let's look at verse 14 of the text. Here we go. What good is it, my brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Such faith, can such, excuse me, can such faith save him? So what I love about James, he doesn't beat around the bush, straight to the point. And here he describes a person with just professing faith. It's, it's intellectual experience, okay? He or she says that they have faith, but there's nothing to show in their life to indicate that. It's kind of like this. An example is like, let's say you, you buy a tree from someone, and they tell you it's a fruit tree. Now, you can't tell by looking at it, but you trust that once you plant it, that in due time, it will produce fruit. And so you wait, and you wait, and you wait. Months go by, a year goes by, and the tree looks impressive, but you never see any fruit. That's James' point here. And he, said, he asked, what profit is it if someone claims to have saving faith but has none of the fruits in the form of good works that true saving faith should produce? Such a faith, this is now such a faith, has no value, it's worthless, it's useless. And what James is simply saying, he's simply saying, you know all the right stuff, you know all the right doctrines, you know all the right scriptures, you have all the intellectual assent of faith, so What? You say, praise the Lord. You say, hallelujah. You say, God is good. Oh, I feel the spirit. I believe. Big deal. So what? What James wants to know, friends, listen now, what he wants to know is what you believe. Is what you believe affecting your behavior? Is your belief just stuck in your head or is it going from head to heart to hands? About 73% of Americans claim to be Christians. And the sad truth is, friends, in many cases, there's no change in their lifestyle. What about athletes and rock and pop stars and movie stars who claim to be Christians? Well, very few of them, very few of them have authentic faith. Now listen, just because... You're wearing, a, you're wearing a Christian T-shirt or a cross around your neck or just because you have a Christian bumper sticker on your car or just because you come to church every single Sunday doesn't necessarily mean that you're a Christian. Now, you all know that, that I like McDonald's. I like McDonald's a lot. In fact, I'm there a lot. But just because I'm there a lot doesn't make me a Big Mac. Actually, that sounds pretty good right now. <laughs> It sounds real good right now. Okay, you guys are making me think about that. 2 all beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickles, onions on a sesame seed bun. That sounds really good, right? Right? Well, what's my point? My point is this. Real faith transforms our conduct. I'm going to say it again. Real faith transforms our conduct. It transforms our lives. And if our lives don't show any change, then what does it say? Or what does that say about our faith. Because real, authentic, genuine faith is not just something that you say. Now, notice what James does. He gives us an example of someone with just professing faith, someone with just lip service. So let's let's go ahead and read verses 15 all the way through verse 17. Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food, If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? Verse 17, in the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by actions, is dead. Now, I want you to notice the pattern here, okay? Verse 14, what good is it, my brothers, if a man claims, in other words, who says to have faith but has no deeds? Look at verse 16, verse 16, if one of you says, says, Claims, says. So it's all talk, no walk. That's what James is saying. It's all talk, no walk. It's all head, no heart or hands. It's professing faith, not productive faith. It's all show, no go. It's, it's outward show, but no form of godliness. No form of godliness. Kind of like the church of Laodicea in, in, in Revelation chapter 3. Uh, a very wealthy church, but very poor spiritually. They were lukewarm So I have a question for you. When you see someone in need, now I'm talking about a legitimate need, when you see someone in need and you know you have the means to meet that need or to help that person, what do you do? Do you help them? Or do you say, hey, I feel for you. I'll pray for you. Uh, You know, be good, be safe, keep warm. God bless you, bro. Guess what? That kind of faith, if you just say that to them, that kind of faith is dead faith. Not sick faith. It's dead faith. It's just words. And James says, in the same way faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. It's inoperative, okay? It's dead in the same way that a flashlight with worn-out batteries can be dead, or like your iPhone without charging can be dead. I want you to follow me here. Words of blessings, got to get this, words of blessing without acts of love are dead. Words of blessing without acts of love are dead, and faith that doesn't have works is also dead. It doesn't do what it's proposed to do. Now I want you to write these scriptures down. First John, First John, chapter three verses 17 through 18. And John writes, "If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Write this down, Galatians 6.10. Galatians 6.10. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of God, of believers. What's the lesson? Here's a lesson. Real faith helps others. Real faith, write that down, real faith helps others. Now, I understand that we can't possibly meet, meet everybody's needs. I get that. Everyone's needs. I get that. Every need, okay? But we ought to be people known for generosity and compassion. And now if you're saved, say amen. Listen, genuine faith will create in us a desire to help others. And we will be compelled, I love that, compelled to do all that we can to make a difference in the lives of others. You see, and I want you to get this, genuine faith will generate works. Write that down. Genuine faith will generate works. It, main, it maintains a, a consistency between what we say and what we do. So, so authentic, genuine faith goes beyond sympathy, It's more than just feelings. It's it's more than just emotions. It shows assistance. It it gets involved. It it takes the initiative. It's there to assist the person who is hurting or the person who who is in need. It it causes us, got got to get this now, it causes us to get our hands dirty. Our hands dirty. I'm reminded of of the parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10, Luke 10, verses 30 to 37, this man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. And as he's going down that road, he's jumped by some robbers. And they take his clothes, they beat him and leave him for dead. Then sometime later, a priest walks by, but he he goes around this man and goes on his way. And then sometime later, a Levite comes and, and he goes around this man and goes about his way. You see, the priest and Levite could defend their faith, but they failed to demonstrate it. And then here you have the Samaritan man who comes along and did what the priest and Levites failed to do. And it says, The Samaritan man took pity on him. He bandaged his wounds, put him on his donkey, and took him to an inn and took care of him. He paid the innkeeper to look after him and said, When I return... I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. What a contrast from the priest and the Levite. This Samaritan got his hands dirty. Now, I want to share with you a story of a pastor and a man who professed to be a Christian. The pastor said this, Have you joined a local church? Are you involved? And the man said, No. The thief on the cross didn't join a local church, so why should I? And the pastor said, Have you taken communion? Have you been baptized? And the man said, no, the thief didn't, so why should I? And the pastor said, have you given of your tithes and of your offerings? And the man said, no way, the thief didn't give, why should I? And the pastor said, well, the only difference between you two is that he was a dying thief, but you're a living thief. Hey, faith without fruit is useless. It's dead. It doesn't mean anything. Warren Wiersbe said this: Any declaration of faith that does not result in a changed life and good works is a false declaration. Matthew seven twenty one. Write that down. Matthew seven twenty one. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven. Let's move on to verse eighteen. But some will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. The message says it like this. I can hear one of you agreeing by saying, sounds good. You take care of the faith department. I'll handle the works department. Not so fast. You can no more show me your works apart from your faith than I can show you my faith apart from my works. Works and faith fit together hand and glove. The key word there is show. It means to demonstrate. It means to to exhibit. Show me, okay? James says, show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by what I do. So what he's saying, he's saying that real faith can be seen. It doesn't just dwell in the mind, but it shows true, true characteristics through actions. And by the way, friends, faith is weightless. It's invisible. It's orderless. Okay. Therefore, anybody can claim to have faith. So, so how do you know for sure that you have faith? Well, James says, show me. Show me. So, so I want you to listen and get this now, okay? If you claim to be a Christian, if you claim to be a Christian, then other people have the right to ask you to prove it. You have real faith, you have true faith, prove it. Show me. Let me see what you got. That's what James is saying. Now, if you're saved, say amen. Listen, we gotta, we ought to be, excuse me, we ought to be so diligent in God's work that there is no question concerning our faith in Him. That our relationship with Him and our faith in Him is self-evident. And James' point is this, that faith and works are inseparable. Fit together, hand in glove. Real faith always gives practical evidence. It's more than intellectual stimulation. Now question, is taking care of our bodies important? Well, the answer is yes. Absolutely, right? But it doesn't matter what we think or what we know. What really matters, what really counts is our actions, Is our actions, are we taking care of our bodies? Does it show in our lives? Does it show? It's like the song, if you're saved and you know it, then your life will, what, surely show it? Question, if you get an electric shock, are you going to know it? And the answer is absolutely. And I want to tell you, friends, I just can't understand how someone as big as God can come into someone's life and not change them. When God comes into someone's life, I mean, when he comes into someone's life, you're going to know it. You're going to see a change in their life. Number one, dead faith. Number two, here we go, is demonic faith. Demonic faith. Write that down. Demonic faith. Look at verse 19. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe. Believe that and shudder. Now, James is being a little sarcastic here, but nonetheless, he's making a point. Look at, look at the text again. You believe that there's one God. So James, is, we know what he's writing to who? To Jewish believers, right? He's writing to Jewish believers, and he's quoting here from the famous Shema of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, what says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Now, you see, every Jewish man and every Jewish woman knew those words from the time they were little. And in their daily affirmation of faith, they would quote this, that, Hear, o Israel, the Lord our God is one. And James is saying that's, that, that it's good that his readers who are Jews, right, they're Jews, believe in this, that there is one God. But in reality, he's saying even the demons believe that. Now, some of you might be surprised to know that demons have faith. They're, they're neither atheists nor agnostics. Okay, they are monotheists. Uh, The the belief, and others, the belief that there is one God. And you see, they believe in all the right doctrines. They believe uh, in in the existence of God. They believe in the deity of Christ. Uh, They believe in the scriptures, uh, that, that the scripture is God's word. They believe that salvation is by grace through faith. They believe that Jesus died, he was buried, and raised on the third day, and that he is seated on the right hand of God the Father. And also, they know that there is a literal heaven and hell. With all of that, knowledge as significant as it might be cannot save them. They know the truth about God they knew the, they know the truth about Jesus. they know the truth about the Holy Spirit, but hate it. Listen, their faith is based on simply intellect. My point is this: it's never enough to just believe that God exists. It's never enough to just believe that God exists. I want you to write this down John 3:16 we might know this by heart, right? John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one only begotten Son, that whosoever believes, key word there, believes in him, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That word believe there, okay, means more than than acknowledging a fact. And we say this all the time. Well, we believe God exists. Well, in the Greek, the Greek word for believe in John 3.16 is peace duo. Peace duo. P-I-S-T-E-U-O. P-I-S-T-E-U-O. Peace duo. And it means more than just believing that God exists. What it means, it means this. It means to rely on, to adhere. It means to, to cling to, to, to commit oneself to, to lean into. In other words, you're, you're laying your life, your whole weight upon him. It's trust. Now, now non-believers say that Jesus is a crutch. And I say, nope, he's a stretcher. He's carrying me. I'm putting my whole weight upon him. So the demons believe in all the right doctrines, right? All the right doctrines, but they obviously are not committing or, sh- committing or laying themselves upon God. So listen, church. There's a lot of people who believe in God, but they're not Christians. They're not a possessor of real faith. And they may believe in all the right doctrines, but still Be lost, And that's why you hear me, you've heard me say many times that people will miss heaven by 12 to 18 inches because they know Jesus here, but not here. And I want to tell you, friends, listen now, there must be faith that recognizes Jesus as Savior and admitting our our lack and need for Him, coming by faith in salvation. Because, listen now, because real faith is more than just head knowledge, it's heart knowledge. It's heart knowledge. Now, notice something. Notice the text. Even the demons believe that and shudder. The word believe is intellectual. It means intellectual. The word shudder is emotional. Intellectual, emotional. So, so the demons are touched in their emotions. They believe and shudder. They believe and tremble. That being said, why is it, friends, listen now, why is it that we are scared of the devil and his demons? Listen, okay, if you're saved, if we're saved, God is in us. He is in us, friends, therefore we have nothing to fear. The devil and the demons have limited power. They're created beings. Write this down, 1 John 4.4. 4. Love this, 1 John 4.4. 4. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. So I want you to follow me now, okay? James points out dead faith, which is solely based on intellect. And then demonic faith, which is based on intellect and emotions. Now, now I want you to follow me here. Someone can be enlightened in his, his or her mind, even moved in the heart, and still be lost. So real faith, this is now, involves something more. It involves the intellect. It involves the emotions. And it involves the will. It involves the whole person. Okay, the whole person. So I want you to follow me here. The mind the mind understands the truth, the heart desires the truth, and the will acts upon the truth. I'm going to say it again. The mind understands the truth, the heart desires the truth, and the will acts upon the truth. Which now brings us to point number three is demonstrating faith. Number three is demonstrating faith. Write that down. And look at verse 20. You foolish man... Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? So what James does here, he offers a a rhetorical question to reveal the faith we all need. And then what he does, he gives two examples, two different illustrations of demonstrating faith, having head, heart, and hand faith. And you see, you have two different people here, two opposites, two different people, but both had one thing in common, and it was this. They put their faith into action. It was their faith in God that led them to action. And the first one is this, the patriarch of the Jews. Write that down, the patriarch of the Jews. This is speaking of, of Abraham, right? It's in there, there in the text, Abraham. Abraham is the father of Jews. He was moral, he was admired, and obviously the Jews were very familiar with his life. So let's read verses 21 through 24. Was not our ancestor Abraham... Considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar. Verse 22, you see that his faith, got to get this now, you see that his faith and his actions, did you get that? Faith and his actions were working together. And his faith was made complete by what he did. So James clearly points out the relationship of faith and works. I love that. Listen, friends, genuine faith produces works. It often reveals itself by works. And Abraham, you know this, right? Abraham had enough faith to believe that even if he offered his son Isaac as a sacrifice, God would raise him from the dead because he was the promised son. Verse 23, stay with me now. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and, was, and it was credited to him as righteousness. In other words, friends, he proved his faith by his actions. He proved his faith by his actions. Let's read on. And he was called a friend of God. How awesome is that? I love that, right? God recognized Abraham's faithfulness and he counted Abraham as a friend. God, that's awesome. Verse 24. You see that a person is justified. Now, you got to get this now. You see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. So this indicates that justification by faith results in vindication by works. I'm going to say it again. This indicates that justification by faith results in vindication by works. Listen, our faith is not determined by what we do. Our faith, listen now, is demonstrated by what we do. Not determined by what we do, but demonstrated by what we do. Now I want you to follow me here. Abraham Abraham had faith in God in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. I'm going to say it again. Abraham had faith in God in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, where God declared him righteous. But he proved that faith, in other words, vindication or proving righteousness in Genesis chapter 22 by offering his son as a sacrifice. So I want to point out something here. There is no contradiction between Paul and James on justification. In Romans chapter 4, verses 1 uh, through 3, Paul uses Abraham as an example of being justified by faith. And Paul, remember now, remember now, remember this, okay? Paul looks at justification from God's viewpoint, and James looks at justification from man's viewpoint. Remember that? So Paul, listen now, is talking about how we as People are justified before God by receiving our salvation through faith. James, on the other hand, is talking about how our faith is being justified and branded genuine by producing good works. So what's the lesson? Here's a lesson. Obedience is the evidence of faith. Obedience is the evidence of faith. We are Jesus' friends if we do whatever He commands us to do. John 15, 14, Jesus says, You are my friends if you do what I command. You know, it's one thing to be a friend to God, but it's another for God to be a friend to us. I got a question for you. Does God consider you His friend? Think about that. Does He consider you His friend? You see, we show our righteousness standing before God by our actions, by what we do. Not just by what we say, but by what we do. So you have the patriarch of the Jews, that's Abraham. The second person is this, the prostitute of Jericho. Write that down, the prostitute of Jericho, that's Rahab. She's a Gentile, she's immoral and not admired. Look at verse twenty-five. In the same way, was not Rahab the, the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? So Rahab's reception and protection of the two Israelite spies proved her faith in God. That's in Joshua chapter two, right down Joshua two, verses one through twenty-five. Her actions. This is now her actions demonstrated her faith. So so real faith is not passive. It's active. Now, if you have a chance, I want you to read Hebrews chapter 11. That's known as the hall of faith. And that whole chapter, Hebrews chapter 11, is filled with people who demonstrated their faith. It's a great chapter, by the way. Now listen, faith never stands around with its hands in its pockets. And I want to say this, the faith that does not act is not true faith at all. Real faith is something that you do. Again, not just, not something that you just say, something that you do. Now, what's really, really awesome is that both Abraham and Rahab are found in Jesus' family tree. And that's in Matthew chapter 1, verse 2 and verse 5. That is so awesome. Now, listen. Once faith moves from the head to the heart to the hands, a definite change takes place in our lives. And our lives are no longer dictated by our thoughts, by outside influences, or the desires of the flesh. Our lives are now submitted to the authority of God. Our faith will show, and it will be evident for others to see. Now listen. Those of us who belong to Jesus, if you belong to Jesus, say amen. Those of us who belong to Jesus will have our faith confirmed by our works. Got it? Confirmed by our works. We prove our justification by what we do. So what's the lesson? Here's a lesson. Demonstrating faith cannot remain idle. Demonstrating faith cannot remain idle. It's always on the move, okay? This demonstrating faith is always on the move. It will produce something in our lives. It's always on the move. We now come to James' final illustration and affirmation on the subject between faith and works. Look at verse 26. As a body without the spirit is dead, somebody says, so faith without deeds is dead. He compares faith to a human body. And a body without a spirit is dead. A body without a spirit, is it's worthless. So then a person's faith, if it's not accompanied by works, it's dead. It's worthless. It's useless. It's lifeless. The bottom line is this. Without works, without works, faith is nothing but a corpse. Faith is nothing but a corpse. Now, as we wrap this whole message up here, let us I just want to just say that real faith reveals itself in many ways. So I want to give you just a few ways here, okay? It's seen in the person who continues. Listen now. It's seen in the person who continues to praise God in spite of devastating news. It's seen in the person who makes the tough decision to put God first, even if it means missing out on some of the things Others do. It's seen in the person who continues to love a person even though they have been repeatedly unkind. Listen now, it's seen in the person who gives what they have to alleviate the needs of others rather than indulge themselves. It's seen in the person who refuses to give into anxiety because of their trust in God's word, in God's will and in God's timing. And finally, it's seen in the person who does what is right, even though everyone else is doing what is wrong. Listen, real faith, the fruit of faith, is more than words. It's a lifestyle of godliness. It's a lifestyle of good works. Now, I want to just end with this, and I want to go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. And I want to read it again. And I want us all to listen to this to really understand, is our faith genuine? Is it real? Again, in 2 Corinthians 13.5, Paul says, and I close with this, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Jesus is in you unless you Fail the test. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the message today, for your word, the challenge to examine our faith, to see that if we're living out what we believe, if we're putting feet to our faith. I thank you, Lord, for being so real with us. I thank you for James, who doesn't pull any punches, And so, Father, I pray that today that we would examine ourselves, our lives, to see that if we're true believers. And hopefully, Lord, we will pass the test. We thank you, we praise you, we glorify you. For it is in Jesus' name I pray this. Amen. God bless you.